You're listening to a podcast from Catalyst Vineyard Church, Aberdeen. You can find out more about our church, as well as more talks on our website, catalyst.fin. Thank you very much. You know, I was in, I was enjoying um, just listening in and the reflections on the Book of Acts so far, and I'm sure it'd be the case for all of us who have been following us in this series. And for me, as was reflecting on it, you know, this study in Acts, it feels a bit like um, fuel for the fire. You know, it's like almost like a steam engine as you put the logs or the coal rather into the engine, it gets it moving. And I pray. It, that for all of us, that as we continue through this series in Acts, it'd be like fuel for the fire to get our engine going and uh, fuel steam ahead. We be in the church of Christ, uh, proclaiming the gospel, doing everything that we see in the book of Acts, that we would do that as well. You know, and the passage we're going to be looking at this morning is from chapter 14. It's uh, verses 1 to 7. And if I could give this, um, this study this morning a title, I would call it it's not unusual to share the gospel with anyone. Uh, if that has any echoes of Tom Jones, then so be it. <laughs> I'm sure he probably did have an influence at the back of my mind. But anyway, with that, we're going to look at the Word and we're going to open up the Bible at Acts chapter 14, reading verses 1 to 7. And it reads, At Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went as usual into the Jewish synagogue. There they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. But the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the other Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there speaking boldly for the Lord, who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to perform signs and wonders. The people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews, others with the apostles. There was a plot afoot among both Gentiles and Jews, together with their leaders, to mistreat them and stone them. But they found out about it and fled to the Lyconian cities of Lystra and Derbe, and to the surrounding country, where they continued to preach the gospel. Amen. It's in reading that passage, and actually there was the one thing that stood out to me, and it's in the very first uh, line of the, the passage. And just to read it again, it's in Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went, as usual, into the Jewish synagogue. And there they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. Uh, if I could give this a, a subhint, it would be, commit to your usual. <laughs> um, they went, as usual, into the Jewish synagogue. They were consistent, they were deliberate, they were intentional. And there's something to be said for having a, a, a rhythm, a pattern in life. For over two years now, I've been teaching at St Andrew's Special School in Inverurie. And in that time, I've learned the value of consistency. Having a routine uh, in the daily programme uh, in school. And it's followed not out of rote or for lack of imagination, but it creates a schedule, a, a, a structure, whereby progress and transformation can happen, certainly in the classroom. And this regular practice of Paul to go to the Jewish synagogue, um, it doesn't negate 
uh, his calling, his unique calling to be a, an apostle to the Gentiles. Because the synagogue was a hub, uh, a launch pad for quickly propagating the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And the further the synagogues were located from Jerusalem, the greater the likelihood that the greater number of non-Jews would be attending. Proselytes, uh, God-fearing non-Jews from among all the known nations. And their practice made sense. Just as for Paul and Barnabas, uh, it had the, the case of enabling them to join up the dots in their own faith journey towards recognising and believing in Jesus. And so it made sense to first approach the Jews to in the place where there was already a, a, a captive audience ready to hear what they had to say in a, a similar context to which they came to faith. But as I read that, it also... Uh, it's a challenge to us uh, to consider, uh, have we adopted or cultivated a, a similar rhythm, a schedule in our own lives uh, that enables us to share the gospel, the good news about Jesus with other people? I remember reading of uh, one pastor who made it his business to attach himself to one particular coffee shop. Um, was it because their coffee was better than all the other coffees in there? It may well have been, but the principal reason for it was so that he could uh, become known and get to know the folk who worked there, the people who visited there, in order to build up relationships and so he could share ultimately share the gospel with them. And so I throw that out to you uh, this morning, that the principle itself stands out as a lesson to us, uh, a challenge to us to know what is your usual? Uh, what is your usual practice? What is that you can identify uh, where you see an opportunity to share the gospel? Maybe it's in workplace, maybe it's at home, maybe it's in your neighborhood in some way. Something that you don't have to go extremes to try and squeeze in something that you know in yourself will never become a regular practice. But in the, the course of your day, can you see a potential place where you can fit in a rhythm, an activity, that will increase your opportunities to share the gospel. And because it's so important, I, I just want to pray for that right now. Let's, let's pray and let's ask God to help us to identify um, that thing where it might be. Father, I just pray in response to your word, Lord, that help us, Lord, speak to us now and put a, a flashlight, a bulb uh, light up in our, in our minds, Lord, something that we can incorporate into our daily life something that we can repeat, something that it can be continuous so that we might have opportunities to share the gospel. To the glory of your name. Amen. Moving on through the passage, there's an interesting statement in verse 2. I want to read it to you. It says, But the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the other Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. Now, this, it doesn't sound very particularly positive, but in the way that the, the, the scripture um, refers to it, who refuse to believe. You know, there's a couple of things out of that, that I, I want to uh, draw attention to. First of all, that the Christian faith is not an unreasonable conviction. It's founded on historical fact. It happened. It is fantastic and it's unparalleled, but yet it's true. That Jesus, the, the physical uh, appearance of God himself, walked among us. 
He suffered, he died, and he rose again roughly around the, the period of AD 33. And following the resurrection and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, saw the birth of the church. This isn't a fantasy, this is real. <laughs> and it's seen the birth and the mission of the church that has continued to be, and I don't think anyone would argue against it, the church is singularly the greatest movement of transformation that the world has ever experienced. And you and I are part of that movement because we belong to the body of Christ. We are Christ's representatives in the world. So I want to encourage you to think for a moment and where you see where the, the, the opinion of the, the wider world has put on you this idea that, um, that the notion that you're a third-rate car salesman for a spurious second-hand car sales garage, try and junk that, throw that off. We know where it feels like. It's easy to be bold and full of faith when we're in the fellowship, but when we step out the door, there is this tendency upon us. We tend to shrink a little. More often at the thought of uh, our convictions being challenged, ridiculed, mocked, or even just dismissed. But I want to remind you this morning that the, the prevailing culture of the day doesn't decide what we have to say is legitimate or not. It does not hold the scales as to whether what we say is true or false. Rather, it is by faith, by conviction, by the experience of the Holy Spirit that we know it to be true. And the witness of the Spirit of God in our lives is that he will also be the vindicator of the words that we are called to share with those that we meet. I want to put it to you as well that you can consider yourself almost a, a courier of the kingdom. Consider yourself as a courier, uh, almost as an Amazon delivery man or woman. <laughs> I want to, I'm referring to, as from verse 3 on, going into verse 4, where it reads, Speaking boldly for the Lord, who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to perform signs and wonders. The people of the city were divided, some sided with the Jews and others with the apostles. See what the, the Spirit had to say on whether something is true or not. Speaking boldly for the, for the Lord, who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to perform signs and wonders. Do you see where the, the emphasis on whose responsibility, whose responsibility is to convince people and convict people? It's the Lord's through his Spirit. It, when you think about it, it's really a, an encouragement you see, the weight of transforming the world doesn't rest on your shoulders or my shoulders. We have a bit part in the unfolding plans and purposes of God. A small part, but it's not insignificant. Now, I don't think it's possible to measure in the law of averages within the life of a follower of Jesus, um, as in how many opportunities a person might have to share the good news of Jesus across the span of their devotion to Jesus. But if the parable of the talents can be applied, for every talent, for every opportunity that is taken to, to preach the gospel, is a talent that's been invested. To share the gospel, to share the, the good news, that's an investment, that is a, an act of obedience to Christ, to the Master. And that's all that they ever ask from us. As to whether the seed will grow, leave that 
with Christ. You've done what you've been asked. Paul himself, the apostle, said this uh, when recognizing some of the different motivations by which some spurious characters thought they could jump on a bandwagon and maybe perhaps make money from preaching the gospel or even just make a name for themselves. What he said this, and this is very interesting, he said in Philippians uh, chapter 1, verse 18, but what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motive or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. He wasn't condoning their motivations, but the important thing for, for Paul was that the gospel was being preached. It's a bit like we need to consider ourselves almost like the, the postman or the post lady who, who comes to the, do the door delivering packages. I very rarely see them, either because I'm out or uh, someone else, I'm in the kitchen somewhere. I don't, it's not always the same person. But their delivery of the package doesn't uh, affect my response to the contents of the package. That's a, a much more uh, personal thing. Though it doesn't let us off the hook, though, we have to be careful that we ensure that we deliver the package intact. And it puts on us the, the onus to be careful, that, to, to have a concise way of presenting the gospel. Know what it is that we hold dear and be willing and able to share it at any moment. As Peter encourages, always be ready to share the gospel. But that is all that we have been charged with, the delivery. It, the response to it is on the one who receives it. But there is also a, a supernatural element as well by the Spirit of God is the one who changes hearts and minds and who will on occasion call us to be open and available to perform signs and wonders. When the scripture speaks of signs and wonders, it's a, it's a, a hashtag that could uh, well be used to describe the rise of the, the vineyard movement to which we belong. When John Wimber began what would become the vineyard movement of churches, it was born out of a, a frustration with what he saw at the time of the, the, the culture and the churches that he witnessed that had become insular and preoccupied with just uh, almost navel-gazing. They'd given scant thought to the Great Commission to preach the gospel throughout the world. For John, he expected to see signs and wonders as a natural consequence, a, a component of sharing the good news. And just to clarify, when, what Scripture uh, describes and what the vineyard understands as signs and wonders are the same thing. It's a supernatural activity of the Spirit of God to authenticate the message of the coming kingdom of God, first in the person of Jesus and continued through the witness of the church from then till the second coming of Christ. To see healings, to see miraculous provision, to see divine intervention, to see, to hear to words of wisdom, knowledge and prophecy. The testimony of uh, scripture, both old and new, the gospels, the book of Acts, it, it sets us up for this. The problem we often saw ha we have with it is that we put too much of ourselves out front and get too caught up with our own public image or reputation. Nobody likes to be seen to fail. We think if God doesn't show up in the way that we hope, well, we'll be left with egg on our face. Or we shrink back from speaking 
uh, for fear that if we don't see a miracle in the moment, then our message is somehow perceived as false or God's reputation suffers. I want to remind you, uh, Jesus was never a performing monkey, and neither are we called to be either. He said himself his principal purpose was to preach the gospel, to preach the kingdom of God, and that is ours too. Signed and wonders are God's business, but just be available to act in response to the move of the Spirit at any given moment. So again, the vindication lies with God. You go and speak good news, but be available to God to vindicate his words through signs and wonders. And who are the signs and wonders for? You could argue principally, yeah, for the skeptic, for the unbeliever, but in a sense, everyone benefits from them. When we see a move of the Spirit, aside from the person who's being blessed at that time, we are all ultimately blessed. The encouragement that we gain towards our faith, the reminder that we're not doing this by our own resources. God is at work alongside us, and everything that God does is good. How much impact did signs and wonders have in Paul and Barnabas' ministry? I don't know. But what a ministry to see the tangible evidence of God at work alongside you must surely have emboldened them to carry on despite the, the, the periods of persecution that they suffered throughout their ministry. I heard a, a useful quote the other day, and it's this. We're not commanded to be successful, but faithful. And I like this quote from William Carey, who is considered the, the father of the modern-day missionary movement. He said this. I'm not afraid of failure. I'm afraid of succeeding at things that don't matter. Like Paul William Carey had a list of accolades as long as his arm, but there was only one thing that was important to them both, to make Christ known. And drawn to a close, I want to end in this verse, and it reads, But they found out about it and fled to the Lyconian cities of Lystra and Derb and to the surrounding country, where they continued to preach the gospel. I want to say to you in close this morning, Carry on your usual. You know, one of the greatest joys in life is to know that what you're for and having the freedom to do it. And I know that in the realm of employment, at least, it can be frustrating and demoralizing when that's taken away. But to share the good news of Jesus, that is a God-ordained liberty that nobody can be barred from. It's so organic that it cannot be contained by any, by any man-made institution or rules. It's like water. It always finds a way of release. <laughs> and every regime in history has proven again and again that the gospel cannot be contained indefinitely. And so I want to end this morning by saying to you, you know, God has a means for you to release the good news that's contained inside of you as well. Yes, some will welcome it, some won't, but don't be put off. You are an aspect of an irrepressible wave of the kingdom of God that has continued to move through history and societies across the globe of speaking and being good news of the coming kingdom of God.
And with that, as the wave continues, there's also an invitation. Maybe perhaps this morning, if you're, you're watching Catalyst for the first time, or maybe you've been following us for a time, you're thinking, I want to be part of that wave. I want to be part of God's kind of win. Well, I want to make an invitation right now um, to surrender your life to Christ. I'm going to put it out there right now. If you're watching and you want to commit your life to Christ, then say this prayer with me. Lord Jesus, I believe that you lived and you died and you live again forever. I believe that what happened to you was not accident or uh, just some random curiosity of history, but you came purposefully to die for the sins of the world, and that includes me. Lord, I ask, would you forgive me of my mistakes, the choices I've made up till now? And ask, Lord, would you receive me into your kingdom? Lord Jesus, I receive you as my King and my Saviour. And Lord, I, I want to commit to following you all the days of my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Draw me into this wave, this movement, into your kingdom. Lord, that I may be with you forever. To the glory of your name. Amen. If that, if you've taken the opportunity to commit your life this morning, then do contact us and let us know, and we would love to support you in taking your first steps of being a follower of Jesus Christ. Well, in that sense, you've joined the, the, the greatest movement in history, um, and I want to pray and close on this, that the ultimate call in all our lives, as I said, that nobody or nothing can bar us from doing is our new normal. So this morning, I want to encourage you, find your normal, find your usual, and continue and carry on sharing the gospel and the good news of Jesus. Amen.